The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You've tuned in to Columbia Calling, your first stop for everything you want to know about Columbia. How and where to invest, where to visit. From the Pacific to the Caribbean, the Andes Mountains to the Amazon jungle, Columbia has a slice of everything. Shooting from the hip, answering the questions that need answering. Here's your host, the journalist and hotelier, Richard McCall, shedding some light on the fashionable South American destination of Colombia. It's that time of the week again, folks. This is me, your host, Richard McCall, here in Bogota, Colombia, 2,600 meters closer to the stars. And this is episode 380 of the Columbia Calling podcast. This week's episode continues in the vein of uh, covering the protests in Colombia. Of course, you'll remember we started on episode 375 with the director of Colombia Risk Analysis, Sergio Guzman, and then, of course, subsequently since then, have dealt with a subject or a topic relating to the protests in Colombia. We've had Andres Bermudez, we've had Elizabeth Dickinson, Veronica Iniastrosa, along with Maria Clara Galvis, and more. It's been a great sequence of episodes, and this week's no different. We talked to Jay DiMatte, who is one of the brains behind the immensely popular number one thing to do in Bogota, Bogota Graffiti Tour. Of course, the graffiti tour brings in the politics of Colombia when you're walking around the Candelaria or along the Calle 26, 26 in Bogota. But he talks about this proliferation of protest art that has sprung up in response to the unrest in Colombia right now. And of course, it's really very important. And look at any street corner, look at any abandoned building, look at big walls, and you'll see protest art. Rebellious Bogota, and not only Bogota, Cali, Manizales, Medellin, elsewhere. The graffiti, the urban art, the posters have all become incredibly creative and quite exciting when you think about it. So I think we'll be looking back at these in years to come and saying, look at that. You know, we're at 47 days, as I record now, of the protests and look what sprung up alongside and around it. So quite exciting to talk about this, this element. Uh, we're still waiting, of course, to hear back from the uh, Inter-American Commission on Human Rights, who will be delivering a communique or some recommendations on what they saw in Colombia in terms of police brutality and brutality in general, let's say excessive use of force by state actors against protesters. Um, but so we'll be talking about all of these things and, and more this week. And uh, Emily Hart will be taking a break this week and next, unfortunately. So you'll have to get your news elsewhere. Uh, and the winners of our poster, our poster, competition that Donald McDonald in Canada and indeed Dora uh, Doris Rueda in uh, in uh, the United States well your posters are going in the into the mail 
this week. So, well, COVID, COVID permitting, hopefully they'll be up with you before long and you can uh, have them framed and put them up in a pride of place in your home. So thank you again for entering that competition. Uh, of course, please sponsor us on the Patreon page. That's patreon.com, Columbia Calling. For as little as $2 a month, you can help us dedicate uh, more time to the podcast and making it more professional along the way. Thank you, of course, to all of you out there who continue to do so. So I'm going to sign out now and we'll be right back with Jay DiMattei talking about the proliferation and the importance, the culture surrounding the protest art that's coming out now during the uh, Paro Nacional in Colombia. Thank you again. Don't go away. And we're back. This is the Columbia Calling Podcast, episode 380, segment three. And my very special guest is Jay DiMatte, who is in, well, I don't know, he's in Bogota at the moment. But uh, it's a special thing because we're going to continue on our theme of the Paro Nacional this week, but take it in from a different angle. And we're going to talk a bit about the protest art that really has surged into the mainstream, I would say, uh, during, well, since the protest started on the 28th of April, we've really seen something special happening in terms of the posters being stuck up, the graffiti, the graffiti on the roads themselves, on the flyovers in, in front of important political situations and establishments. And Jay, well, he's the best person to talk to us about this, well, one of the best people who could talk to us, because he is, uh, you know, well, he's the face of the Bogota graffiti tour. So welcome on the Columbia Calling podcast, Jay. Thank you, Richard, and thank you, everybody that's listening. No, it's really cool. And you know what? I mean, I you know, off 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 mic for a while. We've just got to know each other, and I feel like I've known you for a while because I've been I follow the graffiti and the urban art movement here in Colombia. It's something that actually I I totally love, and I think the protest art and the rebellion. Uh, but tell us a little bit about yourself because I think you're a re rebellious soul as well. So tell us a little bit about how you came to start with with others like uh, Crisp, who's actually on one of the first 10 podcasts I ever did <laughs> here in Colombia Calling, uh, but how the Bogota Graffiti Tours came about. Okay, well, the tour came about in 2011. Uh, Crisp, along with another artist, uh, OPEC from uh, uh, Canada, uh, they already had come here to Bogota. They had painted a couple of different people, the, a couple of different artists. Uh, and at that time, they saw the opportunity to actually kind of harness the tourism that was starting in Bogota during that yeah. time and kind of connect it with the street art culture that was so big at that point. Mm -hmm. uh, they saw that opportunity. Uh, they kind of mimicked some of the other tours that, were, that already existed around the world. And they said, oh, this is the perfect opportunity to go ahead and, 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 and establish a tour here. Uh, the tour has been running for uh, 10 years now. Uh, this is the 10th year. And... It's transformed uh, a lot. Uh, part of that started one day a week, uh, and now, well, prior to COVID, uh, we were doing two tours a day, and we were doing private tours all around the city, different areas around the city where you can see tons of artwork, uh, bike tours, walking tours. Uh, we actually had the opportunity to set up an art gallery to allow the artists to be able to commercialize their artwork and be able to live off of something that they love to do, uh, and it's turned into a kind of like a support for the artist community here. Mm -hmm. uh, part of the donations that we receive every day, I say donations because the tour is free. It's by donation, whatever you want to donate mm -hmm. at the end of the tour. 
Uh, part of those donations go to creating projects with social impact in communities that are high risk here in Bogota. Uh, it's amazing. So uh, can you give us an example of some of the high risk communities there? Are you working in, you know, El Barrio Hipto or close by? Yeah. Or? yeah well, that's just one of the examples. Uh, Barrio Hipto, uh, if you take a look at guidebooks, uh, it tells you not to go into Barrio Hipto <laughs> because basically you're going to get robbed. Uh, that's been the reality there for a long time uh, because it's uh, on the way to one of the roads that leads out of Bogota. It's always been uh, kind of like the hotspot for uh, hijackings of trucks, uh, narco trafficking, things like that. Uh, so uh, we we went there in 2017. We started to work with a foundation. Uh, the foundation is basically the only school the kids in that neighborhood have. Uh, sometimes it's the only people that are actually taking care of some of the kids while their parents are able to go out and work. Uh, mm-hmm. So we went there. We, we started with some art uh, workshops with the kids. And the leader of one of the gangs there came up to us. He kind of knew who we were. And he's like, oh, you guys are here to paint the walls so you can bring your tourists here. Well, that's not going to happen. And we had a conversation. Uh, he, uh, We came to an understanding that he understood that we were just helping out. We were just trying to help out. And they had already kind of started a tourism uh, project on their own with mm-hmm. one of the universities in, in the neighborhood. And uh, they realized that it, it would be a lot better if we worked together. And so what we did is we created a festival. Uh, it was a week festival. Uh, well, kind of two weeks where we went into the neighborhood. Uh, we sat down and spoke with the property owners. Uh, Egipto, the Egipto neighborhood is the second oldest neighborhood in Bogota outside mm. of the Candelaria. So a lot of the history of Bogota is within those walls, within those, those houses. And a lot of those houses have been owned by the same families for years. Uh, obviously, it's a poor area. And so we were able to go in there and speak with the actual property owners. Each artist that was going to paint a wall had the opportunity to find out who, who the property owners were, who their family were, and historical events that happened in, in their homes or outside their homes. And from that, they were inspired to paint what's on the walls on the outside now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had the opportunity to actually create that uh, festival uh, during one of the huge international graffiti festivals that happened here. It's called Meetings of Styles. Uh, it kind of ran simultaneously. So we were able to invite a lot of the international artists that were here for that festival to paint in the Barrio Egipto. Right. In, the last, in the last four years, uh, to give you an idea, the same guy that kind of uh, threatened me not to do things, uh, he, he was able to actually tell his story in Amsterdam uh, you know, foundation took him out there to tell his story of transformation through the artwork that was painted and through tourism. That is, is a great way to change neighborhoods nowadays. So that's social change on the ground, right with the people. That's, I, that's the kind of thing that I appreciate immensely. And I know that my listeners will too. Um, but beyond this, I mean, I wanted to ask because I, I maybe I'm saying the wrong thing, but you start seeing the big art festivals that take place here in Bogota and so what is Art Bow, which is not my favorite at all, but the when Barcu, which takes place in like in all the different uh, stately homes in the Candelaria artist workshop, you start seeing more and more of the graffiti art sort of framed and up there. Is there a, is there a sort of a, a mainstreaming of this artwork now in, in, in sort of Bogota circles? 
Uh, well, yeah, you can kind of see that happening, but let's remember that in graffiti history, it's always happened. I mean, yeah. once the guys started painting the trains in New York, uh, there were art galleries that were like, hey, you guys got something. Let's put your your, your stuff. Uh, let's remember uh, Andy Warhol discovered a guy named Shamo, which turned into mm-hmm. Michel Basquiat. So it's always kind of had that connection and it's because it's artwork. You can tell it's artwork and mm-hmm. it makes that impact. Uh, he, here, uh, uh, we have like two sides of the, of the graffiti history, which is uh, before 2011, uh, which is uh, the underground scene here that started in the late 80s, early 90s, where guys were just basically imitating the hip hop culture and seeing that happening and kind of that. And along with political graffiti and political artwork, which is, has existed in Colombia for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 2011, there was a key event that happened here, which was the death of Diego Felipe Serra. Uh, I should say the murder. He was murdered by the national police here when he was painting a wall. Uh, they, the police claimed that he had a weapon and basically he didn't have anything. Uh, he was shot in the back. Uh, and this really, uh, his parents have been able to kind of uh, uh, push this fight of uh, respecting the artists and, and showing uh, not just Bogota, but I think the whole country uh, that these kids just need a space to be able to express themselves. And that's really given kind of like a boom in the graffiti culture here. And, and yes, now you see all different types of Main Street media. Uh, there's a whole neighborhood called, called San Felipe. Uh, that's uh, the, uh, It's a whole neighborhood of what used to be abandoned factories. Now they're being turned into galleries. Uh, it's what it's it's compared to like a Winwood kind of mm-hmm. uh, thing. Uh, and they have huge events that are happening every mm-hmm. every month uh, where people go from gallery to gallery, checking out a lot of the artwork. And a lot of that artwork is street art and graffiti. Mm-hmm. I like it down there. I go to San Felipe a bit, although I feel old and very uncool. Uh, so I take my, I take my six-year-old. Okay. <laughs> so that, therefore, we sort of balance it out a little bit, the average <laughs> and the ages. But so, I mean, this is great. This is great that this is happening. It's immense that you've got like the best. The best thing to do in, in Bogota when you come is the graffiti tour. It's the number one rated thing, uh, to, uh, you know, activity to do. And of course, you spend time and you do different things. You, I know that you probably take people into Santa Fe down there along the 26 was a block back you've got all of those different artworks and so on uh, and then uh, it's just uh, it's just a kind of a special uh, activity uh, that can be done in Bogota and it makes it different I think from other cities but uh, let's talk about this uh, then let's talk about the protests and what's going on in Bogota because you mentioned you know the young young kid uh, Diego who was murdered and that kind of weaves into the subject that we're dealing with is this there's a pre- police brutality and there's a, a degree of um, animosity i wouldn't even say a degree there's a great deal of animosity between the authorities and and this these collectives and communities in in bogota and, and so i mean what's happening now uh, because we've seen uh, it's we're now more than 45 days of protests across the country this is nationwide but bogota always being rebellious bogota will be the you know the, the uh, well it's one of the epicenters the epicenter right now i would still say is cali and Siloé and places like that but i mean what's happening with the artwork tell us i mean about this proliferation of the artwork that's going on uh, due to the protests well, you're going to see artwork uh, used as a way to express what's going on. And that happens anywhere you go. I mean, if you take a look, uh, if you read about the French Revolution in the 1920s, uh, that's where uh, a lot of people point at the origin of street art, uh, where people went out and put posters all over the street and expressed themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's because 
the streets are the main communication uh, between the people that don't have that political voice or social voice. And it's the way they can express themselves. If mm-hmm. I go out and, 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 and nobody listens to me because uh, I haven't been to university or I'm not a politician, if I go paint a big wall uh, 20 meters long, people are going to listen. People are going to see my message. Yeah. And so I think that's that's the key uh, to, to what's happening right now, why there's so, such a big uh, explosion of graffiti all over the city. Um, I also think that uh, being... Uh, the last four years is boom. Uh, the last ten years, really, uh, this boom of 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 graffiti and street art, and Colombia known for that. Uh, for the first time, we're not known for Pablo Escobar and cocaine. For the first mm-hmm. time, people like Colombia. Oh, Medellin has a graffiti tour. Bogota has a graffiti tour. They're internationally known now. So we've changed our perspective of what people think about us, and I think that's why it's exploded so much. I think that the guys. The artists that go out every day and paint on the street, they feel that responsibility. Hey, look, mm-hmm. we're known now. People listen to us. People follow us on social media. Uh, we have to go out there and, and, and make sure people understand what's happening in the country. So I think that there's a lot of things that add to it, a lot of factors. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and yeah, that's that it's 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 huge i mean there are huge walls being painted every single day there are walls that are being censored that the guys go back the very next week and paint over again so it's it's great what's happening uh i've i've seen a couple of interviews with uh uh experts in art and things like that and nothing like this really ever happened here in the country before Mm. but it's i mean it's proliferated beyond beyond belief especially in this time i mean we were already you know bogota was already a, 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 a you know a graffiti capital median was coming you know, has its tour and cali and elsewhere but these these messages uh that are coming out the creativity used and i would say also the like the the placards that people are holding up in the you know multitudinous marches they're artistic as well they're creative as well and they tap into this very same uh anger i would uh, anger and uh, inconformity and of course so the inconformity of a, of a youth because we're not going to say students because it's the youth that are out there uh the youth with the status quo in the country it that that goes hand in hand with the rebellious nature of street art and urban artwork. And I think that's, it's very exciting. And I look at the photos because I've always, you know, we've always got our, uh, you know, our smartphones with us. So I'm always taking photos and you see them in the most obscure places. Uh, and I'm looking at one that says, you know, COVID or Estado to fin asegurado. I mean, that's, that's hard, hard hitting. So the COVID or the state, your end is assured. I mean, it's, that's, that's, you know, and then of course, and a todo marrano le llega su diciembre Uh, to every pig, (laughs) his December is coming. Of course, it's a picture of the president there, but I mean, you've, you guys have been putting a message out there with the paste ups as well. You've been putting the uh, putting the pictures of the of the kids who've been killed in these protests. Uh, you know, there's a, here's one, uh, Marcelo Agredo. I saw this. This is from Cali, but I saw it in in Bogota today. Seventeen years old, ninth grade. He was working. He loved playing basketball and football. Killed by the police in Cali. And you know, this is these things hit home. If you stop, you, what might look like you know, a messy, uh, paste up actually has a very important message. And 
I don't know. I mean, do we think that the urban art, you say that the, you know, people are going to read the messages, but like, for example, you've got the military base on the, I guess it's the Ochenta here. Uh, and the, the military and the police have been, let's say, under the spotlight, in the spotlight for some time recently because of the, the brutality, not only, and the human rights violations taking place in the strikes, but also what we call the false positive scandal. 6,402 people dressed up, you know, tempted away from Bogota, dressed up as guerrillas and latterly killed. And then, you know, it's a, to increase the headcount. That's the, the briefest way I can put it. Absolutely heinous, uh, heinous uh, activity taking place between sort of around 2006, 2007, that sort of time. But the artwork, I think it's Puro Veneno who did the poster of all the different uh, high-ranking uh, officers involved in this, you know, the ones perhaps giving the order. I mean, the, the title is Quien Dio La Orden. Every time that gets painted up, the military come out at night and paint over it. Uh, and this is happening too uh, on the flyovers and by the highways in other parts of uh, of Colombia. You're putting out, you know, Quien dio la orden or Estado asesino or something like that. And let's say the gente de bien or people dressed in white shirts pretending to be model citizens are painting over it. So there's this back and forth. Uh, and how do graffiti artists keep up with this? <laughs> Uh, I want. I want to just state uh, the wall that you mentioned, the, the yeah. false positive scandal. Uh, that wall is actually sponsored by uh, an organization of victims of the state. Uh, yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. They, they're the ones who's, who actually contacted a collective known as Puro Veneno, a pure poison, uh, which have had a huge movement in the last three years. Mm. Uh, and they were able. They're the ones that actually helped to create that uh, that imagery. Uh, I just say it's it's crazy how we have to have organizations that protect victims of the state here. I mean, <laughs> that alone is shows uh, the situation that we're living here uh, through an oppressive government, basically. Um, how do the artists keep up? It's 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 funny because in the graffiti culture, it's like if you erase one of my walls, I'm just going to pay ten, 10 more. <laughs> and that's how it is. And that's how it's always kind of been uh, here in Bogota. Uh, the state has always kind of erased things that they like that they don't like. Uh, it's pretty funny because we had a situation in the Candelaria in 2017 uh, wow. where wow. the city through an, uh, through an event held by Citibank uh, called the day of the neighborhoods or something similar mm -hmm. to that. Uh, they wanted to recruit uh, some of the patrimony, historical patrimony that's in the Candelaria. Uh, being one of the, old, the oldest neighborhood in Bogota, the Candelaria has a lot of important architectural uh, treasures uh, that need to be protected. Uh, th these, this protection has only been in the last couple of years since tourism has been around. Uh, <laughs> if you take a look at the Candelaria 20 years ago, uh, it was completely abandoned by the state because there was no tourism in Bogota 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. So now that there's tourists going, now the city wants to protect certain areas. And so in 2017, the city went out there to erase a lot of the historical walls, saying that they were painted on historical houses that never should have been painted. Uh, for us, it's kind of that double standard. Uh, what are you protecting? Are you protect? Are you protecting Colombian artwork or are you protecting Spanish architecture? Mm -hmm. uh, so it's always kind of happened here. 26th Street has been erased by every mayor that's come into, into office. Their first week is, yeah. all right, let's go erase 26th Street because there's way too much political graffiti on that street. So every every mayor since probably the 80s, it, since graffiti started here, has erased that street at some point. 
so it's it's natural for it to happen. It's natural mm-hmm. to censor things that hurt. I like to say that it's not so much rebellious. It's not so much uh, the anger. It's the truth. Yeah. People want the truth to be known and, pe- and people have been swallowing these lies for a long time. And now because we have social media and now because everybody has a cell phone, we're able to get the truth. We're able to see what's happening. If it wasn't for social media, we would not be seeing what was what's happening in Silhoué and in, in Cali mm-hmm. uh, where Kids are being shot every single day by police. We're not able to see that. Well, mm-hmm. we're not able to see how uh, the police are, are are using buildings, shopping centers, department stores as places of detention, illegal detentions. We're not able to see that without social media. Mm-hmm. We're not able to show how these gente de bien or these good citizens uh, are basically kidnapping kids and putting them into unmarked cars and taking them away and disappearing. So it's it's because of all this, the story is changing. Our history is changing because now this side of the fence could document that story. And I guess that's what graffiti helps to do. Uh, if they erase a wall, we're going to make sure that that history, that truth is going to be on there. Even if they erase it, there's going to be a video made from it. There's going to be tons of people that's going to pass by and take a picture. So it's going to be it's going to be engraved in the history somehow or another, even if it's censored a million times. I find this very interesting, this duplicitous nature of it, and of course, painting over the graffiti in the Candelaria on, well, you know, historic buildings. And as I, you know, 20 years ago, I think, yeah, around that was the first time I visited the Candelaria. And it was, it was even daytime, it was a hairy place to go. I I recall that, well, it was 1998, (laughs) if I'm not mistaken, actually. So perhaps a bit bit more than 20 years ago. And now, of course, you I mean, you can't swing a cat without hitting a tourist there and or (laughs) or someone on your tour. Um, That's the truth. But uh, this duplicitous nature is, you know, you see the, um, the tourism entities bigging up Colombia and Bogota as a, as a graffiti destination to observe and appreciate, and yet you've got the politicians painting over it. So it's it's, it's sort of, yeah. but it's a it's a whack a mole, isn't it? I mean, you, as you said, you said you, you paint over one and we'll put up ten more, and and so be it. But so what? Are, I mean, we have to just establish quickly what are the rules about painting? Is it if it's a publicly owned wall, you can't. And if it's a privately owned wall with permission, you can. I, I can't remember what the rules are about painting. So there are a lot of rules and there are a lot of, <laughs> like I say, unrules and kind of like unknown rules in the graffiti culture as well uh, between mm-hmm. artists. Uh, so the political world, the, 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 the rule is that here in Bogota, uh, really in Colombia, if you get permission from the property owner, you're able to paint any mm-hmm. wall you want. As long as you have, you don't even need a written permission. As long as you have the verbal permission, that's what the law says. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are certain places uh, like the Candelaria that are historically protected because of that patrimony, that architectural patrimony uh, that you're not able unless you get a special permission from the, from the city. Uh, huh. I know one particular uh, 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 artist, his name is Caleto. He goes by the name of Caleto. Uh, he, before this boom happened, of graffiti here, he actually was studying at a university and he kind of went through the whole process of getting a permission to paint one of the historical homes and he was able to get that permission. Why did they give him that permission then and not now? Is because then there was no tourism. It was completely different. It was nobody really cared about that house. So like, yeah, yeah, we'll give you the permission. They signed off on it. And he was able to renew that permission throughout the years. So for mm-hmm. me, he's the only one that literally has permission right now to paint a historical home. Uh, 
those are the rules or, or the laws and what, and what happens. I think that's great because mm. uh, that helps for the artwork to expand a lot. I mean, if you go to other places in the world, you probably need permission from the property owner, from the neighborhood, from the mm. sector, from the city, you know, <laughs> to paint a wall. So, yeah. you know, it becomes almost impossible. Uh, so that's, that's what's helped a lot the graffiti culture to grow a lot here because guys will go and they'll knock on a neighbor's door and look, it's already tagged up. Your house looks bad the way it is. Let me paint something good. This is what I do. This is my artwork. Let me paint some. You don't even have to pay me. I just want the space to be able to express myself. And that gives the opportunity for the kids to really go out there, go out there during the day. They don't have to no longer hide at night and run around from the cops. They can go out during the day, spend a whole week leaving up their the best piece. And that's really helping to expand the culture a lot. Mm. Now, uh, there are these unwritten rules in the graffiti culture, uh, where how artists respect each other. And obviously, it all depends on uh, your 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 reputation on the streets, how long you've been around. A guy, uh, for example, we were just talking about a guy Vogel, uh, one of our good friends. Uh, he's able to paint a wall, and nobody's going to touch his piece because everybody knows who he is. Mm-hmm. Everybody respects him as an artist. Everybody knows that he's been in the in the city for more than twenty years, so nobody's mm-hmm. going to touch that wall. Uh, so there are these unwritten rules. There's also the rules on uh, the different types of graffiti. I mean, you have the tags, which is the normal, just I'm going to sign my name everywhere around the city. Uh, the next step up is the throw ups, the bombs, which now you're putting two colors in. Uh, you're doing a, a fill in color and then a line on the outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have some burners. You have, you know, different steps of what graffiti is. And so uh, in the graffiti culture, unless you're going to do something better than what's there, you can't cover that wall. That draws a, a, a gray line because one artist can say, well, what you did on top of my piece was not better. So I'm going to go cover you with something better. Mm. Uh, and that's always happened, not just here in Colombia, but everywhere around the world. Yeah. I mean, there's a huge there's a really famous battle between a guy named Robo and Banksy uh, right. in the in the in, in the 80s, 90s, where they had a spot and they kept going at each other. And so that's part of the graffiti culture and that's how it goes. So, so there are the laws in Colombia and then these unwritten laws in the graffiti culture. Well, I recall a, yeah, spat, maybe I shouldn't name the people, but on the Calle 65, the 65th street, uh, here in Chapinero, where I am now is, I think it was DJ Lou at the original. And then perhaps I shouldn't name the guy who then put up a Art's not dead with like a dally with a, a punk uh, haircut uh-huh. uh, on top, and and yeah, and then DJ Lou got back and went, yeah, but respect is he painted on top of it. So I thought exactly. that was quite. So, yeah. and and, it, and it's that it's like uh, the guy who who comes up with the wittiest comeback, mm. and you know, it's 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 part of being creative. And I think that that what that comes back into it when you talk about the witty comebacks. I mean, that's what we're seeing as well. These posters uh, going up everywhere and you look at you know in front of the parque de los hippies the hippies park in in chapinero that's around the k60 it has just become you know a i would i would say an urban art expression i mean the the stuff that's gone up but and so i wanted to ask you about some of these posters and 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 so on Are, they're created by collectives or individuals or i mean how do, how does this happen uh, what's really cool about this whole movement is that not just artists are getting involved. I mean, anybody. I mean, just like you say, a poster. I mean, as long as you have something to say, as long as you have something to tell, anybody can really create something that that's impactful. And 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 that's what we're seeing. I mean, uh, with these huge um, 
with the posters, a lot of times they are collectives. A lot of times uh, they are individual artists. I can name a bunch of individual artists that have always kind of been in this uh, uh, illustration kind of uh, uh, sector of what graffiti culture is. Uh, graffiti is not just the guy who goes out and paints with spray can on a wall. I mean, graffiti can be anything from a sticker to a poster to sculpture on the street. I mean, we were just talking about Chris. Chris went around the city putting masks yeah, I like around this. the city. Uh, uh, in the Candelaria, there was a, a, a artist in the '90s who created the invisible inhabitants of the Candelaria, which are statues uh, that are now dot all over the rooftops of the Candelaria, and that's street art. Uh, mm. Whether it's painting or it's a sculpture or is interventions all over the street, it's a different way to use the street as a form of communication for your art. So, uh, one of the things that's really cool right now that's happening: there's a collective of students, uh, industrial design students. Uh, from the National University. And what they're doing is they're putting up uh, street signs. Uh, they yeah. look like normal street signs, but basically they say, where are the missing people, yeah. which is excellent. And they're yeah. going around the bus stops. The bus stops have a uh, little indication of what bus stops there and what is the route. And they're basically putting up uh, in metal, just like it, it's just like the street sign that's there in metal. Mm. They put up instead of the, the bus name, they put 6402. And it says number of false positives in Colombia, number of people that are killed wrongfully here yeah. during that false positive scandal. So it's it's different ways to interact yeah. with the street. And, that, and that's what's cool, because it allows all different types of people from all different communities to yeah. be involved and to express themselves. So I really like this, this sort of rebellious interference that, that can go unnoticed because there's, there's a certain, there's a degree, I mean, massive degree of intelligence. And also, you know that a lot of the authorities aren't going to see it because they're just not going to pay attention. But, and I have yet to see one. I'm pretty good at spotting stuff around the city. You know, when I'm there, I'm like, you know, you know where things are going to be put or something. I have yet to see one. And I think I'm going to go and take my dog out <laughs> and go walking around because that industrial, you know, artists creating metal laminates to look like the original bus stops and make a statement about the political situation in the country is so creative and exciting. That's what I get out of it. There's a real undercurrent of, of a movement in, in Colombia at the moment like that. Um, so, I mean, off, ca off mic, I'll ask you where they are, but <laughs> so we don't get anyone in trouble, but no, it's okay. If you like, there's one in the heroes monument, uh, on okay. 85th street and, uh, Autopista yeah. Norte. Uh, uh -huh. there's one there. And I think that's important too. Uh, the recuperation of monuments, uh, mm. is important because here in South America, we've hoped, well, really every, around the world, because you can see it in the South of the United States as well. Uh, we have monuments erected for, uh, people that, uh, are honored in history. And when you take a look at these people that were honored in history, they were genocides, they were slave owners, they were, uh, they raped women. And so uh, that's something that's also happening here. Uh, the mon uh, the monument for the heroes is a monument that used to be, well, in, in, in an old military base. It's now one of the main sectors of the north of Bogota. Uh, it's been taken over during the protest. I mean, thousands of people have arrived there uh, at the beginning of the couple, first couple of weeks uh, to go and protest and show that the money, that the heroes that are, are now here in Colombia are the people that are going out and protesting their rights. And so mm -hmm. that's really important too. And that leads to what's happening in Cali. In Cali right now, in uh, Puerto de Resistencia, um, they're building a hand 
uh, out of concrete. And these are university students. They're getting donations for their materials. And then it, I, I would say, I don't know how, how, how tall it is, but I would say it's about three stories tall. And that's really wow. important for, for us to build our own monuments and to honor our own history. Mm. Yeah, and I think you know it's 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 not a revisionist hindsight or anything. It's it's a reality of these things. I I mean, I, I sort of veer in between both things. I don't see you know if, if a if a monument hasn't represented like a genocidal act or something, I can see it staying. Uh, but like this last week when the indigenous Misak people tried to knock down, was it Christopher Columbus and Isabel, uh, the, yeah, the Spanish kids, on, yeah. on the Calle 26 on the way to the airport. Now, I can understand that. You know, these are the original uh, people of, of, of the territory and the, and, and the country and stuff. Can we take them down and put them into a museum and teach people the reality? Right? Not just, let's not just destroy them. Let's just take them down, put them, into a re, uh, put them into a museum and say, you know, this was the Spanish king, Spanish queen at this time during this period. That's, you know, and this was what happened. But I guess that the, you know, I remember when they, they pulled down the, I can't even remember his name the the slave owner in bristol you know he was pulled down and pushed into the into the into the docks there i can understand that i can totally get behind some of this but again put it into a museum so that we can learn from it i mean that's that's my feeling los héroes uh you know los héroes is is a junction between the autopista and very in the caracas and other things um it has been taken over totally i've been down there i've done some interviews down there i've done some filming and the energy is so very interesting. You know, again, it's the youth. Uh, but so how do you feel that, I have to ask because of, of, of COVID and so on, how do you feel that COVID might have, have, have feathered its way into this feeling of discontent as well and the artwork? Uh, well, COVID has affected a lot of people. I mean, millions of people have been affected by COVID here in Colombia. And it's, 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 it's tough because if there were people here struggling day by day before COVID, I mean, COVID just completely annihilated a lot of these people, a lot of these uh, uh, families that are trying to survive. I mean, I, I just... There's some things that I've been hearing from the from the protests and places like Puerto uh, Puerto Resistencia, uh, Porta Resistencia, which is one of the bus stations in the south of the city. That's it's one of the hot spots as well, and it's one of the areas where people are actually uh, 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 meeting up every day. Uh, sometimes people go to the protests because they know that there's a community pot there, and that's mm. their only way to get lunch that day. Mm. And so it's 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 it affects everybody around the world, but it affects a lot. Uh, these poor communities that uh, before this they didn't have anything now it's it's even worse mm -hmm. and it's it's the government uh, going out there and saying okay well we're gonna help you guys out but we're gonna tax you in order to give money to some of the poor people mm -hmm. and so it's like it, it, it's just a strain I think I guess you know it, mm -hmm. it's a strain on on everything that you believe in it's a strain on like well what am I gonna do today for food I mean mm -hmm. it's like it, it, it's tough uh, I mean, being in an economy that, that, that has been surging in the last couple of years because of tourism, because of so many other things. Uh, I mean, if, if you read about Colombia in the last couple of years, uh, the economy has increased greatly in so many ways. And thinking that the government has no money to help out people is like, it's unbelievable. It's like, how is this happening? And, mm -hmm. and if you take a look and every other day you hear stories about, a plane leaving a military base with 400 tons of cocaine. 
being captured and then turns around to be one of the guys, the pilot turns around to be one of the official pilots for the presidential's campaign yeah. back uh, a couple of years ago. And then this story repeats every six months. Mm. And then you're like, oh, well, I know where the money's going. And mm. so it's tough. It's tough not to say anything. It's tough not to, uh, after years of this, I mean, you hear now in interviews with a lot of the older folks that are, uh, that are, that are going out and expressing what's happening. Uh, they felt scared in the eighties yeah. and the nineties to be able to say anything. And, and they give, they give, uh, uh, kudos to the kids that are going out and expressing themselves and not really fearing anything. And I think, I think that's what's happened with uh, COVID it's taken the fear away. Yeah. Like we know that, all right, I have no fear anymore because I need to eat yeah, or else I die. So it's taking the fear away. And that's why, and that's, what's allowed people to go out and just really don't care anymore. But I think that's a huge point that no more fear. That's a huge point because again, like you said back, uh, you know, the few years ago when the poor kid Diego, Diego was shot in the back and murdered by the police, that there was a fear. And prior to that, 80s and 90s, there was a, you know, it's a militarized society. Uh, and we're seeing, I think, hopefully the demise of a militarized society. Although, like we mentioned last week with uh, when we were talking on this show about human rights violations and had some very you know high-profile guests, Maria Clara uh, Galvis and Veronica Inestrosa, who are experts in human rights law and, and uh, from the external. Maria Clara Galvis said, you know, there's, there are two ways we can go right now, you know, or more authoritarian or actually, you know, become a more democratic society. And this element of no fear would suggest the second, this element. Although, although what we see on the streets, people arming themselves and being given free reign alongside the police to fire their guns and in inverted commas, protect their communities. It's, that's very concerning. I just sort of go back as the, the, it's the 400 kilos on the plane, <laughs> just to make yeah. sure. But I think there's something about this. And I've been trying to pitch a piece to the mainstream press, because uh, I have to work too, <laughs> um, uh, and earn money about this issue of, you know, it happens every single week. And now that we've taken away the sort of one hate figure of you know in the conflict the 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 fark guerrillas there's now a it's been things have been revealed about the country and we can speak more openly and the artwork itself has reflected this too uh the artwork has got very much involved in the in, in you know against the cartels against the sort of narco trafficking country uh, culture against the as you say the the good citizens and if we talk about the good citizens i mean you know the former colombian ambassador to uruguay three cocaine laboratories on his family farm on the outskirts of Bogota. Then this narco plane, you know, I guess it's a week ago now uh, with 400 kilos on it. It has to land in Providencia because it's, it's run out of fuel. They obviously didn't pay someone off. It's not the first time that that plane has landed there, you know, uh, go on. Last year, uh, there was another plane that crashed in Mexico. And it turns out that guy was also a pilot for ex-president Uribe and Duque during his yeah. uh, campaign as well. So now there's two yeah. pilots linked directly to them. And they, of course, he was doing it for the Sinaloa cartel. I mean, that's been proven. And I'm trying to think of others. But, uh, oh, our, our beloved vice president and her, her brother, first of all, being, well, she bailed him out for heroin smuggling you know, in the U.S. And 
the alleged, I'm going to put that in there, the alleged connections between her husband and the famous narcotrafficker in Spain now, uh, Memo Fantasma, as proven by Insight Crime in Medellin. And so, you um, know, we are now questioning these things. And I think the artwork also reflects that. Yeah, it's important because the, the artwork goes out and tells the truth. And it's always been that political action. I mean, when you go out and intervene in the street and don't ask for permission, that automatically is, is a political action. You, you're going out and saying, hey, look, I don't care about your laws. I want to state the truth and I want to express myself uh, every way I can. And so that's really important. And, and, and I guess graffiti uh, having that rebellious origin has always been kind of straightforward, especially mm -hmm. here in Bogota. Uh, you can pinpoint uh, a lot of the street art as opposed to the graffiti. When I talk about graffiti, most, most of the time I'm talking about the tagging, the mm -hmm. letter styles, things like that. And then when I talk about the street art is, is, is the more uh, imagery that you see with statements. And that mm -hmm. really occurred here in the origin. You can kind of trace the origin back to the 80s and some of the political movements that were coming out of the University Nacional uh, which has been really important for the political situation uh, throughout the decades and in, in, in showing resistance and showing what's happening. I mean, uh, you can see all types of artwork inside the campus. And a lot of those students that study art there, uh, they realized that that was an important tool for them to go out and express what was happening. So uh, that political side of graffiti and street art here has always kind of existed, has always mm. has been part of the movement. As we as we sort of wind this down, but I think we could talk forever. Is I, I wanted to focus a little bit on that what was originally known, well, officially known as the Portal Las Americas, this big bus stop area, Transmilenio stop area in the south, now being dubbed Portal Resistencia, so resistance, uh, you know, sort of dock. Um, while the protests and let's say the unrest has started winding down a little bit because the strike committee has decided that they need to, you know, think of different ways to levy negotiations with the government. But the Portal Resistencia still goes on every single night, right? I mean, that's that's a real hot spot. Uh, yeah. Uh, what's happening is that uh, it's not just about the, the tax reform anymore. It's not just mm -hmm. about uh, who the uh, the committee of the national strike, the organizers, is not about what they want anymore. It's about getting justice for what's ha been happening the last couple of years, the last couple of months, uh, what's uh, occurring in the country constantly, not just that, uh, opportunities for the young people. So it's, even though the, 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 the committee's kind of finding ways or, or maybe at one point saying, okay, we're going to just stop uh, striking, uh, I think that... Uh, it's more about it's more now and it's more mm. people and it's it's the common day folk and it's their rights as well. Not just the truckers rights to be able to come into the city or not or things like that. I think more people have gone gotten the message. More people agree to the message. More people find this a way to uh, create a change. Mm. Uh, I told somebody else the other day. Whether things have changed or not, there's going to be a change. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's impossible for things to go back to normal now. Uh, that was obviously uh, uh, the thing with COVID. But now with the, with the national strike, a lot of people saw the truth. A lot of people seeing what's happening. Uh, it's important that the international community sees what's happening because mm -hmm. through, through resources and through help that we can get from the international community, that's going to help change a lot of our uh, social political uh, institutions which is really important. And I think this helps 
uh, for our next election, which is going to be in 2022, mm-hmm. which is going to be uh, really important mm-hmm. uh, for us, not only to be able to really be educated politically, uh, for us to be able to understand that we also have to uh, be very, uh, uh, how would I say this, uh, vigilant of, uh, of the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that, unfortunately, here, uh, even with our last president, uh, he's been accused a million times of fraud, electoral fraud during these last elections. And that's how he's placed into office. Uh, he's been connected to a drug dealer called Nene, who basically was one of his sponsors for his election. Uh, and so I think this wakes up a lot of the youth in that that, OK, yes, we have to go out and vote, but we also have to go out and be monitors at the tables where uh, we're being voted. We also mm-hmm. have to, uh, a lot of times, here it's obligatory that as a Colombian citizen, you have to, uh, during voting time, you have to, if you're called upon to be one of the uh, uh, people that monitor the situation, you have to go to a certain spot a couple of days a week and you mm-hmm. have to be there. And, and that's part of your responsibility as a citizen. Uh, a lot of times people didn't care for that. People didn't even want to go because they felt like, you know, it was a waste of time. Uh, mm-hmm. But now it's important to not only go out and vote, be at the tables and monitor the situation and make sure that there's not any corruption going on because we know that that's been our history here. So mm-hmm. it is important and that's what's happening. It's not mm-hmm. just uh, the truckers or the, or the union workers or it's everybody. It's mm-hmm. all of Columbia going out and saying, hey, look, this is a way that I can change my situation. And, and if we have to do it this way, we have to. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, that's the perfect way to end, isn't it? Because it's, there is, as you say, we can't ignore what has happened now. You know, not just COVID, but this national strike over 45 days now. Uh, you can't ignore it. Something has to happen. Something has to give. Uh, this empty vessel of a president that we have will, you know, obviously constitutionally cannot run again. Uh, uh, but uh, the, the lineup doesn't look doesn't look all that appetizing either. I have to say. I, but I, the, I like to say that the president's not the problem. It's the institution no. behind it. Is the organization mm. behind it that's been giving us the last mm. what? since the fifties, uh, oh, yeah. these presidents that have been doing the same thing over and over again for them to maintain the power in those specific political parties. And that's another thing that it, it, it always leads to the conversation of whether it's a left and right thing. I mean, it's, it's not, it's, mm-hmm. it's the people that are going out for their mm-hmm. own rights. I mean, these are like the right to be able to eat <laughs> the right to be able to say what you need to say because something's bad's happening in, in your neighborhood. And mm-hmm. so it's not a left and right thing. It's that's what uh, the part of the people are trying to make it look so that, mm-hmm. but then that's been the history all throughout South America in the last hundred years. Yeah. Uh, there's always been military coups to kind of keep power. And there's always been this attempt to get rid of the communism and get rid of the left where the left has never really controlled Colombia. We've no. never had a leftist president ever. Mm-hmm. So who's been ruining the country then? <laughs> Not the left. <laughs> so yeah, it's, yeah. I think it's you, you've hit the nail on the head because I was talking to someone from the Primera Linea, you know, the front line of the protests the other day. And she, she said to me, you know, this if, well, you know, it's not as not as good as what you said, but she goes to be sincere. Uh, you know, I'm in Colombia. I don't think things are going to change. We've got elections; they'll try and rob them. What is happening, though, is not about the left or the right. Here in Colombia, there's no right wing. Those who govern are narco traffickers. They take whatever and wh- however they want to to steal and to kill. It's a it's a hopeless situation. Every government entity is full of narcos so 
there's not much we can do. The only thing we can do is be sure that we try and keep our, you know, plight in the, you know, seen by international entities. And I felt, I felt despairing, but I also felt a bit positive that, you know, a young person was speaking so clearly about a situation in Colombia. And, you know, I have two kids here and it, you know, I, it's something, it's something that we need to think about. And, and hopefully, uh, well, I know that I've already taken them out to marches, <laughs> so, but it's, it's a tough one, isn't it? It's a tough one. Um, but you know, hopefully the youth will come through. Yeah. And it's this education we're learning through this and it's, that's, what's important learning that. Okay. We can we can strike for as long as we want. We don't need the government to tell us, no, you can't do it or yes, you can. We can do it and we can find ways for the food to continue to arrive to the cities, even though this, the, the, the roads are supposedly blocked and there's uh, a scarcity in the supermarkets, which is what some news reports are, are reporting. And I go out front and I go buy from the from the farmers that are coming in with their own products and they're selling on the street. And I don't have to go to a big supermarket because I'd rather support the local farmers. So we've, we're finding ways to be able to survive. And that's how humans are. We adapt. We find ways that work for us. Uh, I also like to say it's, it's pretty tough to change the world as one person. Yeah. But if you can change the world around you, the people that are directly influenced by you, that helps. And that helps them to change the people around them. And that's what's happening. If you go out uh, to these marches, you see communities, entire communities coming out to, 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 to help each other, to find ways. And that's, that's what's going to change things. All right. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, I buy my all our fruit and vegetables right from the Siete de Agosto market. I mean, yeah. and it's been, you know, they, they say the only thing that increased in price was pitaya. I'm like, so what? I'm not buying it. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, like, exactly. um, but uh, yeah, thank you. Listen, it's been really, really fun conversation. It's been you know, it's been good to talk about this from a different perspective, you know, not like an academic perspective from a, but a perspective that comes more from, let's say, down on the streets, down with the, uh, the youth there in the marches and knowing about what's going on. And of course, I think you've inherited a rebellious uh, streak. I know that uh, your parents went underground to the US and you grew up, I mean, you were born in Bogota, but you grew up in Queens, but you've come back, you know, to make, and you're making a difference. It, you know the Bogota graffiti tour is something that's been written up I'm sure it's even been written up in the New York Times I mean it's you've been written up all over the place and so this is you you know you making a difference with your team uh, and of course putting urban artwork at the front of of messaging about what's happening in Colombia so let me take this moment to say thank you so much to Jay Dimate for his time and of course once things open up you are all obliged you have to go on the bogota graffiti tour because you've heard how they give back to the community and how they help the artists as well so jay thank you for your time no thank you guys a lot thank you for the space for uh, uh to have this conversation uh please follow us on social media on uh instagram is bogota dot graffiti and on facebook is just bogota graffiti uh right now we've stopped basically advertising our services because we feel that our uh our channels are important channels for the artists to be able to express themselves. So what we're doing is we're putting all the, all the projects that are being painted right now uh, during the national strike. We're trying to, to get people all the way. We've gotten messages from 
Brazil yesterday uh, from London. There was a festival a couple of weeks ago uh, in support of Colombia. We've gotten those videos. Uh, and here in Colombia, there are artists painting in Medellin, in Cali, in Manizales, in Cartagena. And we want to show people through art why well, what's happening and mm -hmm. the truth of what's happening on the streets here mm -hmm. in Colombia. All right. Well, thank you again. Uh, thank you, of course, to uh, Emily Hart, a journalist in Medellin, for giving us the news segment, and DJ Dimate from Bogota Graffiti Tours. Follow them, as you said, on all social media platforms. This has been episode 380 of the Columbia Calling podcast. Another shout out as well to former interviewee from episodes 324, 25, and 26, uh, when we talked about her crossing the Darien Gap with migrants trying to make it from the to the US. Well, Nadia Drost, uh, who's from Canada, has won a Pulitzer Prize for that piece. Uh, so that is huge news. Revisit those episodes because it's a harrowing and terrifying story of human suffering. People from the Congo, people from Bangladesh, Syria, making it their way through Brazil, up into Colombia, through the Darien Gap, into Panama, and then onto the United States from Central America. So a uh, huge shout out to Nadia Drost for that piece, which might have been the best piece I've read in, in months, uh, best piece of journalism. That's us signing off for this week. Of course, check us out on patreon.com, Columbia Calling, for as little as $2 a month. You can help us out. And of course, you know, support your artists, support the creative communities, especially during this very difficult time. Thank you again, and goodbye. Yeah.